Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our scripture is taken from John chapter 10, verse 11, with Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Here we have a perfect image of the work that the Lord Jesus did on the cross. Here he is the good shepherd. He's the one who loves us. And the Bible tells us he loved us so much that he gave himself for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him but have everlasting life. And so here we have this great statement from Jesus that he is the good shepherd who takes care of the sheep. He watches over them. He protects them. He helps them. He goes before them. He opens doors. He blesses them. And he uses us and allows us to represent him here on earth. What a great privilege it is to be a child of the living God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio Doug and Linda Wilson. And uh, Doug and Linda have been with Global Outreach Mission for the last couple of years, and we're so thankful for their ministry. Uh, Doug is the uh, director of church planning. And Doug, why don't you uh, tell our audience about uh, training pastors mm-hmm. and to lead their congregations in a, th- in a third world setting? Well, thanks so much for that question. It's uh, very close to our heartbeat as we think about 
uh, the years that we served as a pastor in North America, and then we were called to go to England to church plant, we learned a lot of lessons there about uh, the New Testament paradigm of local churches being planted of the people, by the people, for the people, as guided by the Holy Spirit. And we used Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 as our main theme, that the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we're actively looking for Paul-Timothy relationships to be able to develop from outside those that are hungry-hearted and capable of being able to train and lead their own people and then to commit that truth and that training and that mentoring and that modeling to them. And then they will, in turn, uh, teach it to their men and women in their local church setting. And then it'll be what we like to say, church planting on steroids. It's a way of being able to, to guide people to care for their own. The old uh, sort of worn-out uh, way of doing missionary work where all the North Americans go and do the work and pay the bills really is not the best way to sustain global missions uh, in partnership with those that are led to go forth into foreign cultures as expatriates. Uh, we need to go as, and to equip them to do for themselves. And uh, I think we're, we're really following the New Testament example of Paul, but we're also allowing them the joy of being able to minister to their own people. They know the language, they know the culture, they know the, the, the ways, the, the land, uh, they already have resident visas as a national people of the country. And so we are able to just equip and enable them as a cost savings as well. Yeah, I think that's the way missions are going. And it's certainly the way Global Outreach is going. I'm so thankful for this philosophy of, of training up the nationals to do the work of the ministry. One thing in missions today is we're never sure how long we're going to be allowed to stay in a country and sometimes we are expelled, and uh, we want the people who are left behind to the nationals to go ahead and continue on with the ministries that we've begun from North America. So I think that's a real good, uh, a real good philosophy of ministry. Well, Linda's had a role in that as well because she's been able to uh, come as an experienced pastor's wife and an experienced church planter in a cross-cultural setting in England and be able to transfer a lot of those principles to the women and children uh, in the local churches and other cultures. Yes, it's always a challenge to try to package those things in a way that is fitting for the local culture. And sometimes our North American minds don't grasp exactly how others think in other countries like uh, the UK, the United Kingdom, for example. We speak pretty much the same language, but there are a lot of different ways of thinking. And it took a while to try to translate some of the mentoring and discipling philosophies that we had so that they would work with, the, in my case, the women and children there in England in our ministry. But it was very rewarding to make friends with them and to see them grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and to, to be reaching out to their neighborhoods and their country in ways that only they could do effectively. Yeah, I know you had a very uh, successful ministry. I know the Lord really blessed you and you had a self-sustaining church there when uh, when you left. And we want to recreate that all over the world, actually. So that's one of the reasons that we wanted to hear your philosophy of ministry today. We're so thankful for the privilege that we have to work together. I know Doug is uh, quite the singer. I know that Linda is quite the uh, pianist. And they, they're the ones who produced a CD for us, which was very, very popular. We, we couldn't get enough of them. We had to get a second ship 
equipment, and we're so thankful for the gifts and abilities that God has entrusted to you. And I'm so thankful that you have allowed him to guide and direct you and direct you to the fields that are white on the harvest. And you're one of the workers who have gone out and are going out to share the good news to those who have never heard. And so I'm so thankful that you're a, a part of our ministry, and we look forward to see how the Lord is going to use you in the future. Well, we're honored to serve in that way, and we're thankful for GOM. Yes, indeed we are. Thank you. The Lord bless you. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour and for your prayer and financial support over the years. Uh, we continue to remind people that uh, we can't be on the air without their faithful prayers and their gifts to sustain this ministry. This month we're giving away a wonderful booklet entitled Decision Making by June Hunt. This is a wonderful little booklet that explains how to find God's will actually for your life and how to make good decisions. Some of the things it talks about is how to make the most important decision, how to develop discernment in your life, how to discern the spirits leading in your life, and then other topics like how to overcome procrastination and peer pressure, how does God reveal his will. Really a wonderful booklet. I really recommend it highly and ask that you write in to get your free copy by writing to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7 Alpha 7, 787, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And don't forget to ask for your copy of Decision Making.
Today's message is from Reverend George Francisco. Printed copies are available upon request. Last day, we looked at a difficult experience in the life of the Apostle Paul. On his way to Rome for a hearing before Caesar, Paul was shipwrecked on the Isle of Melita, Scripture says. That was the modern-day Malta. God intervened, sparing Paul's life and the lives of all aboard. I'm sure it was a very traumatic experience. Today I would like again to look again at Paul's life because he loomed large in the times of the early church. He without question was a very special servant of Christ. He had a special conversion. Acts 9 tells of him going to Damascus to arrest believers. Verse 3 says, As he journeyed he came near to Damascus and suddenly there shined a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That glorious light and the voice was that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And needless to say, Saul was soundly converted to Christ and began to proclaim everywhere the gospel of the one whom he had so zealously opposed. He chose a new name, Paul, to show that forgiveness and newness of life had come to him when he received Christ. He had also other special revelations from Christ and a special calling on his life to be the apostle or the sent one to the Gentiles. His dedication saw the first Gentile churches founded in Asia Minor and then in Europe. Then too we are indebted to him for 13 books of the New Testament. What a treasure they are. Paul knew first that God had called him for the special purpose of taking the gospel to the Gentile world. But then Paul mentions a second major purpose for his life in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We want to look at that, verses 12 to 17. It reads, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. For this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern 
to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, in this passage, we see declared the second purpose for Paul's life. In verse 16, that Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe. So God chose Paul not only to pioneer the gospel ministry to the Gentiles, but also to make his life a pattern for all believers who should come after him. Now, a pattern can mean a specimen for exhibition or an example for imitation. Paul's life was both. First, Paul's life became a specimen to exhibit the greatness of God's grace. How is this revealed? Well, Paul indicates this in verse 13 when he describes his past as an unbeliever. He says that he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. In his religious zeal, Paul thought he was doing God's service. But in actuality, he was opposing God. Sin is very deceptive. It blinds the mind and the heart to the light of God's truth. Paul was deceived, and instead of doing God's service, he was being used of God's enemy, Satan. Scripture says that Satan opposes all that God is and desires. The best example of Satan's work will be in the future when a man will come who will sell himself out to sin and evil. He will be called Antichrist. And he is described in 2 Thessalonians 2, speaking of the days just before the return of Christ. Here it says in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped. So, here we see an evil man called the man of sin will break in upon the world's political and religious scene. He will be characterized by sinfulness, wickedness, and opposition to God and all that God stands for. Since he opposes God and his Christ, he is called the Antichrist. His coming may not be very far away. So here is Paul, or Saul as he then was, an arrogant, blaspheming, deceived persecutor of God's true church, even to the death, it says, which means he was also guilty of murder. What kind of a man was he? Paul was later to say that he looked on himself as the chief of sinners. Then God reached out to this man, the chief of sinners, in mercy and grace. These two words were to change Paul's life forever. For he says, I obtained mercy because of the grace of God. Mercy is not getting what he deserved, and he certainly deserved God's judgment. Grace is getting freely what he never could deserve. That is complete forgiveness of all his sins and restoration to the very God that he had blasphemed and opposed. Paul's life then shows us that first, if God could love the chief of sinners, then there's no one that he doesn't love. No one is beyond the great mercy and grace of an all-loving God. God was patient with Paul, 
and he will certainly be patient with us. And if God was willing and able to save the chief of sinners, then no matter who you are or what you have done, God's forgiveness can be for you. God's salvation can be for you as well. Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore, he, that is God, is able also to save to the uttermost them that come unto him, that is by Christ, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Saul of Tarsus is a good example of God's great forgiving love and grace. What an encouragement to any sinner today. God holds up Paul, who was the chief of sinners, as an example of his great love, mercy, and grace. And if God could forgive him and save the very worst of sinners, then he can forgive and save you today. Will you not come to him now in faith? Come and receive his gracious offer of salvation and forgiveness. John 6.37 assures you that if you do, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Come to him in faith. Invite him to forgive all your sins and receive him, and he will receive you. Then secondly, Paul is an example of faithfulness to God. Verse 12 says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This indicates that God believed Paul would show the same kind of zeal and faithfulness for the truth after he was converted that he formerly showed in his sinful opposition. And Paul was faithful. God gave great revelations to Paul. In Galatians, Paul declares that the gospel of grace came to him by revelation from Christ himself, not even from the apostles that were at Jerusalem. Salvation by grace alone through faith. What a great revelation that was. Then Paul had a revelation concerning heaven. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4, Paul states that he was caught up to the third heaven, hearing unspeakable words and things that were unlawful for him to declare a glorious revelation of God's greatness and glory that apparently was for Paul's own encouragement and consolation, as he never spoke of it before. Paul experienced many visions from the Lord to give him guidance and encouragement in his life. So many special visitations from the Lord, in fact, that God had to give him a thorn in the flesh, lest he should exalt himself, Second Corinthians says. Moreover, God worked many great miracles of healing, confirming Paul's ministry of the truth. In all of these great spiritual blessings, Paul was faithful, giving glory to God alone. He was faithful in times of blessings, and greater still, he was faithful in times of trial and suffering. You'll recall at Philippi, Paul was falsely accused, illegally beaten, and then imprisoned. And Acts 16, verse 25 says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. This led to a great deliverance and the establishment of a Gentile church in Philippi, with the Roman jailer and his household converted and becoming charter members. What a demonstration of faithfulness. Everywhere Paul went, he faced opposition, problems, and trials, yet the gospel prospered. 
An account of Paul's suffering is recorded in 2 Corinthians 11:25, where Paul says, Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. All this list really makes us ashamed when we think of the little bit that we suffer for the Lord. Yet in all of that trial and suffering, Paul remained faithful to the Lord Jesus, faithful to his calling to spread the gospel. God shows Paul's faithfulness as an example or pattern for us to follow. Paul was faithful, and he wants us to be faithful. So take courage today. Put away the little things that often turn us aside from doing God's will. And let Paul's example, and that of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's Savior and our Savior, whom Scripture says he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, Hebrews 12. Let us press on to follow the Lord's calling for us. Someone has said, we are not called to be successful, but we are called to be faithful. Finally, Paul is an example of praise, worship, and thanksgiving. In verse 17, Paul closes his comments on being a pattern with the words, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul praises God. He exalts God, not his own suffering. He gives honor to God and becomes a pattern for us to look away from ourselves and to fill our minds and our hearts with the glorious vision of God's greatness, love, and mercy. To be quick to praise him and to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, is to find the source of strength that will enable us to follow our Lord in faithfulness. A little boy was leading an old horse. He was met by a stranger and asked, Can your horse run very fast? Not really, the boy replied, but he can sure stand fast. Friends, let us, like Paul, stand fast in these dark days for our Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that you enjoyed the previous biblical message. Hopefully that it'll have a meaningful impact on your life throughout this next week. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're concerned that not only people grow in their faith, but also that they know Jesus Christ personally, because without a personal relationship with the God of the universe, we don't go to heaven, we go to the other place. The Bible's clear that all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and we know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we need to have faith in our Savior. The Lord Jesus loved us. He thought so much about you that he actually sacrificed himself for you in the cross of Calvary. There he bore your sins, every last one of them, in his own body as he hung on the tree. He took your place. He was your substitute. 
he died there. But on the third day, he rose again, and he's alive. He wants to have a relationship with you. And you get that relationship by humbling yourself, confessing your sins, and asking Jesus to come into your life. And if you do those things, you will be redeemed by his precious blood that was shed on that cross, and you'll be a new person. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. This month, we are giving away a free booklet entitled Decision Making. It's a wonderful book that will help you to discern God's will, will discern the leading of the Spirit in your own life, and I trust that you'll write in for your copy of Decision Making. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also hear past broadcasts on our website at www.missiongo.org. That's M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. We're so thankful that you have tuned in today, and we trust that God will continue to bless you throughout the next week. Please don't forget to pray for us and uh, pray for our financial situation through the summer where things are more difficult. May the Lord bless you and keep you in a mighty way.